Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Marketing Your Practice podcast. We live in increasingly fascinating times. The world is changing. That's an understatement. And along with these changes, I think we need to start to change the way that we're communicating with our patients and our community at large. Now, two of the bigger challenges that many of you are coming to me at the moment, many things that are being raised in my coaching sessions, are firstly this. How do I have my practice cope if a second wave comes along and I have to close down? And the second challenge that I'm hearing from many people is this. How do I show up, inspire, and lead my community towards a different way of viewing their health in this current pandemic. Now, my guest on the show today is going to address and help you with both of these issues. Her name is Paula Drayton. She's a revered facilitator, master trainer, and master coach, and she has an expertise in communication and in behavior change. Now, Paula loves working with leaders as they grapple with the complexity of fast moving and changing times like right now. Now, let me tell you why I think today's episode is really important for you. Sometimes in our enthusiasm to get a message out to our communities, we end up coming across like an evangelist or even a little bit like a greenie. In today's episode, Paula will show you how to show up for your community, for you to lead them, but not come across as either an evangelist or a greenie there too. Now, if a second wave happens and we have to close down again, the practices that are likely to best be able to ride the bump of that are going to be the practices that have built massive amounts of trust with their patients. And in this episode today, Paula will show you exactly how to do that as well. Paula's going to introduce you to the concept of being an ambassador of possibility. She'll show you how to reinvent yourself. And not only that, but perhaps even reinvent the way that your community sees you. So reinvent the kind of value that your community sees that you can deliver to them. And then finally, you're going to discover some of the key ingredients that go into creating a shared understanding. And you're going to learn the importance of listening and a whole bunch more as well. Now, Paula is one of my absolute favorite peeps. She's been a friend of mine for more than 15 years. And I think you're going to love this episode. Let's get on into it. Welcome to the Marketing Your Practice podcast, where we guide natural health and wellness experts through the pitfalls of marketing. Each episode, you'll learn simple, effective, easily actionable, and heart-centered marketing strategies. And here's your host, Angus Pike. Paula Drayton, welcome to the show. Thanks, Angus. Good morning. It's, um, we have a friendship that goes back a long, long way of which we recently rekindled. And I can't tell you just how engaging and exciting and fun it's been to be chatting with you again. So for our listeners that haven't had the pleasure of knowing you for as long as I have, um, can you give us a little bit of your background? Sure, Angus. And uh, maybe we could start with our shared background. So um, my way of finding you was I was a patient of your practice. Um, when I was living down in Melbourne as a, um, I'm going to say a high-flying corporate about to have my bubble burst. Um, and so um, my background is actually in marketing, communications, um, leadership development. And around that time that we were connecting, I had a massive transformation in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I chose to leave the corporate world to really pursue what mattered to me, which was leadership, human development. And I found there was this pattern in my career of, leaving organizations that um, didn't have good leadership. And it was mm. always about my leader. And I thought, um, well, I could choose to suffer under this regime for the rest of my life, or I could choose to get out and do something different. And it was a key point in my life. I think I was in my late 20s. Um, and now 45 years old, um, I can't believe that so much has changed. But um, we have developed a couple of practices that 
enable leaders to transform the way that they think about themselves and perceive their world. And at this time of COVID, I can't think of anything more important. So I'm an intrinsically motivated person in terms of what I get up to day in, day out. Um, and that practice is now 13 years old, uh, which is phenomenal just to think about. So we work with leaders and teams in transforming um, everything that they're up to, helping them achieve mission critical goals. And um, I suppose for me, part of that is this continuous investment in myself and my perception. So I have this thing that you can do the work when you do the work. You've got to do the work on yourself to be able to afford the privilege to guide other people through their transformational practices. So um, yeah, so basically, the story is out of that corporate world and into this transformational space, which continues to evolve. Mm. Um, and right now, the experience that we're having is this is our time of greatest service. We've, mm. we've got a lot of demand coming in and it looks different to the way it's ever looked before. It's a lot more human centric. And for all of the things that haven't worked around COVID, the kinds of conversations that we're able to open up inside massive organizations and small to medium organizations, um, are heartwarming mm -hmm. and maybe this is an important time for our planet to be able to reconnect with what it is to be a human um, and then how it is that we do our jobs from that space of knowing ourselves and knowing each other. Mm. You have a background and an expertise in the concept of crucial conversations and um, as you mentioned before this current COVID state is bringing about more important conversations than ever beforehand. And when we think about it, one of the challenges um, with most of our listeners, so we've got chiropractors and naturopaths and dentists from around the world. We're small businesses, so we're different from, you know, some of the huge companies that you're dealing with, with million dollar budgets and stuff like that too. Yet sometimes we kind of, you know, we have these same visions to want to impact the world also. So um, mm. it, it begins with leadership. So can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, when you were going in to try and help out companies and you noticed there was a leadership problem what did that how does that show up and how would we know in our practice first of all whether the problem might be us whether we're the issue there in terms of these conversations reaching out to our community what a great question so first of all i want to declare that i also exist and live in a small business hmm. so even though it sounds like we're huge we're not we are boutiques so for the size of practice you described we are that as well so hmm. i'm I can talk from lived experience. Um, but how do we observe? Uh, and I think this is actually the, the question I've already used the word. Um, how is it that we know that things aren't, um, you know, that people aren't going well or that people aren't connected to where we are as a leader? And I think that if you own your own practice, you can be way out front and that sometimes you lose sight of your followership. Mm -hmm. And how is it that there are clues that that is happening? I actually think that's much more visible in a small business. Yes. In a big business, you can tend to hide because there's protocols and there's ways that things are done. And um, there's so many people involved in the ecosystem. But in a small business, there's nowhere to run. Mm -hmm. um, so what you might be seeing is um, changes to people's behavior or they're quiet or they used to be much more flamboyant and loud and all of a sudden they're, you know, over time, just stepping back a little, or you might even notice it as a performance issue. 
um, that people have concerns that are showing up in their day-to-day -day interactions or mm -hmm. that they're not really delivering on what they say they will. Yes. Um, so um, I think that as a leader, we tend to focus on that things are not happening, but we don't necessarily get to why is that thing not happening and what's going on for that person that has that thing not happening. Yes. And I think that's what's been revealed inside COVID is that yes. the performance issue is really a wellbeing issue. Um, and that what's really difficult is if your concern as the leader is you and the business, you can often be blind to that, what's the concern of my follower or my team yes. and how that's showing up. Because, you know, basically a lot of us are just struggling to keep our practices alive right now. Yeah. And, and Tony and I, in our practice, we went through that. And yeah. um, we definitely had to look at closing the doors. <laughs> mm. um, and, and, and when that was happening, it was quite challenging to keep an eye on the team. Um, but from a lived experience, I can share that the one thing we invested every day in was a one hour discussion at the start of the day with our team. Yes. Now that is huge. It was early in the morning, it was before our practice opened, but we just needed to know where they were at and process together the assessments or stories or concerns that we were in about what was going on in our direct world because we couldn't serve the people we needed to serve if that was, if we were blind to that. So it's kind of like a, let's unpack it early in the morning, mm. let's grapple with it, and then let's move on. And I would really advocate that check-in conversation mm. is the most important conversation at this time for leaders in small practices. I think that blindness is interesting. And I think it shows up in one of two ways, which I'd really love some guidance from you in terms of how to perhaps give some vision back to it. So I know for so many of the practitioners that are listening to this, as we see this COVID world going on, the world approach to it really is very much what I call defense it's all about masks and social distancing which i'm all for so i don't want this to be a conversation in around those things and there seems to be very little conversation in around offense which says hey you know what community as a time right now now's the time for us to sleep more eat better lose that weight we've always been thinking about mm -hmm. you know let's get outside get into the sun now's a reminder from the universe of the importance of self-care yeah. so we what almost what happens there's a listening and a frustration around many practitioners many of the people that are listening now that we have an answer and so that can sometimes show up as a level of smugness i won't go as far as arrogance mm -hmm. but there is a frustration that comes from us it's like hey we, we know the answer. Like, why won't anybody listen to us? And then when I see practitioners wanting to communicate that out into the world, they miss um, a level of connection first. So sometimes it comes across as arrogance, conspiracy theory-like, all those kind of things there as well. And that's where I feel sometimes our leadership misses the mark a little bit there as well. And we're blind to the fact that we look like lunatics to lots of the people because it almost looks like we're not, it's almost like we're looking out to the world and we're saying it's not a big deal that people are dying as well. So, and I think we've got a really important message to share. Mm. So how do we bridge that gap? I'm not sure if I've articulated yeah. what I'm trying. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in on this conversation. Angus. Right. So great. I love how you framed that up. And you know, the first thing I thought of, I thought of two things, evangelists and greenies. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, that's how we come across often. That's it. 
Yeah. And, you know, no one wants to listen to an evangelist and no one wants to follow a greenie. Yes. And it's because we come across um, (laughs) wanting to be right or wanting to know. Yes. But that is completely disengaging. And I have a whole other pathway available to anyone that finds that compelling. Yes. And that is actually to tune into the concerns of the person that you're speaking with. Yeah. And the only way you can do that is through questions. Yes. And through mindful attention and, you know, I'm thinking as a practitioner to all of the practitioners that are tuning in, you don't go ahead and treat without a diagnosis. Mm. You never would. Um, so it's kind of the same principles apply. Um, so taking some time and space to tune into, well, what's happening for you now? Um, what is the key issue for you? What are the concerns that are present for you? What's at stake right now? Mm. How are you taking care of those things? Um, What's not being addressed that needs to be addressed? Um, So those kinds of questions can really start to open out this listening. Um, And when someone feels listened to, they open up like a flower. Mm. So that's not to use it as a manipulation. The point is that if you feel like someone's coming to tell you how, but they haven't listened to you in the first place, there's never going to be a listening for what it is that you want to share with the world um, or share with an individual. Uh, So I feel like maybe the opposite approach would be far more helpful, Mm. um, which is whether you do that one-on-one or whether you survey your um, patients and really get a sense of the common concerns. And then what you're communicating is here are the common concerns that we're starting to hear from our patients. Um, Now, if you've done your homework well and you've listened well, then that's a great starting point for re-engaging them in coming back into practice, particularly if they've stopped coming to practice. And Angus, I shared earlier in the week with you that um, we've just done this incredible um, program of work with a a big organisation and they have an Australia-wide footprint. And that required us to have conversations all around um, every state and territory. And and Victoria was the most compelling case because um, people were really suffering in my assessment down there. Mm. But you know what? With um, all we did, we opened up a coaching room, and eight people come into that coaching room, and then we just asked them questions and listened. And with everyone listening to each other, it was almost like everyone could just relax because we all realized we were in the same position. And, you know, if I'm thinking about running a small practice, how is it that you create these really meaningful spaces Mm. for your patients to share what's going on for them or to share it with each other? It doesn't need to be one-on-one. You could even think of something a bit more innovative, like a a practice room where you open up um, a digital space for an hour and just invite your patients in digitally just for a conversation and Mm. um, not for the purpose of education, but for the purpose of connection Yes, and listening and um, getting them to generate their own solutions. I think that's the other thing. Um, And look, I've, I've come from a school where I was taught to know everything and be faster and, and write. And I had to like bat that out of myself for 10 years. The opposite has worked so much better in transformational learning, which is, everyone has a genius. How is it that you can help them find their genius? Um, mm. So I'm, I'm not sure if that really answers the question, but... It, it, 
It does beautifully. <laughs> <It's> a long <lovely. laughs> way. Because I, I, I can connect straight away with the evangelist and granny thing. A, a good friend of mine, Paula, in fact, he's just moved off Maui, but has lived in Maui for the last 20 or 30 years. And Russ would tell these stories. Maui is full of these beautiful waterfalls. Mm. And visitors would want to come to Maui and they would see footage of people jumping from these waterfalls and into these beautiful uh, kind of ponds or, or, you know, whatever you call them down the bottom of them. What lots of people didn't realize is that some of these ponds down the bottom there too are only two and three and four foot deep. And he said every year there would be a number of people that would either die or become paraplegics. And Russ had this metaphor with regards to communication is that before we leap, we should always test and see how deep the water is first. And as you were articulating that to me before, it reminded me of... I get the excitement. I get so excited too that when I feel like I have a solution that can ease suffering mentally, emotionally, physically, it only makes sense that we want to communicate it with gusto. We want to jump off that waterfall, so to speak, there too. But if we don't test and see what the water is like down beneath there, we risk our communication turning into some kind of fatal injury as, as well. Mm. Can we role play a little or come up with some strategies of you're on the table with me and I want to check in with you and I'm tempted to lie down on the table and literally spew out this new philosophy and framework of how you can look at the world and Corona in particular there that'll hopefully bring you a whole bunch more um, certainty in your health there too. But I'm going to decide not to do that. I want to check in with you first. What would be some great questions that I could begin with that might help to bridge that gap to test the depth of the water, so to speak? So it's interesting, I wouldn't start with any practice related questions. Okay. Um, the first question I would ask is the most basic human question, how are things going? Yes. And I know that sounds really naff, but it's such an easy access point because yes. straight away it's not about you. Yes. The other thing is like, what's that common human connection? At this point in time, I think one of the great questions is how are, how are you coping with changed working arrangements? Yes. Because straight away you have an access point to the concerns. Yes. And I don't know anyone that doesn't have a concern around that. Yes. Or something to say, something must have changed in nearly everybody's working arrangements. Um, then listen. Because you don't know the next question until mm. you're tuning into their world. And the next question should be engaged with that their response, you know, it should be a build on what they're saying to you because this isn't about you. Mm. When you're asking the questions, it's not about you, it's about them. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really happy to role play that with you if you wanted to just do like a, a little one or um, we could just explore some other questions because yeah. what I'd like to show you is what listening sounds like. Yes. Which, which um, you can usually see more if you and I play something out. Um, and it depends if you want to go down that path. Well, I think that might be helpful. Mm, I, I'm, I'm up for that too. Mm. I'm, I'm wondering this, I want to kind of share my experience and moment there too. And perhaps if you could give me some coaching with it and whether it's just an inflection sort of thing there too. Because sometimes for me, when I ask, how are things going? Mm. Often the response to that is one that's shallow because it's the same question that the young guy at the supermarket asked me. The person asked me when I was kind of checking out from getting my petrol, those kind of things. And it's a question that gets asked lots of times. And my experience is, is often when people ask that question, they're not really interested in my answer because yeah. it's, it's one of like, how are you? Good. You know, I say it to the person as I'm kind of going for a walk with the dog as they go past. 
is there a way that I can ask that same question that, uh, you know, I even like this second one here that requires, you know, how are you coping with the changed working conditions at the moment? I could see how that would be more likely to get a little bit more depth out of it yes. as well. So do you have some thoughts on how I might be able to ask a question that might get a little deeper or is it the way it's asked? Um, it's, it's the way you listen. Yes. You know, it's actually not the way it's asked because okay. I could give you um, fine. And I, I, for anyone that's listening, I just gave Angus a very stern face while I, I said fine. Yes. And I would be saying, oh, from the way that you say fine, it doesn't seem like things are really fine. What's, what's, yeah. what's going on for you? Yeah, got right? it. So it is totally about my, the quality of my listening. And what yes. you're looking for is any incongruence, a little bit of aggression, a little bit of upset, a little bit of... Um, we spoke with someone yesterday, for example, for half an hour this person was manic and I was like, this person's not going well because they haven't shut up for half an hour mm -hmm. and they were trying to paint a picture of how great their world was. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, I have such a concern for this person. But I honestly sat back and listened for the whole time until there was a breath. And then you can share back something like, well, you've just spoken straight for 20 minutes. Um, uh, and, and we haven't spoken for about a year and a half. Is everything really going okay? At this point in time, there's an access point to what's really happening. Yeah. Um, but it's all about the listening, like a dedicated listening for, for what is not being communicated as much as what is being communicated. Um, and um, perhaps I underestimate the skill involved, but then I also think it's an opportunity for us to really tune in to what kind of listener are we? Yes. Are we listening with a background assessment or are we just there to get through that question in order to peddle our own agenda? Yes. So what are the skills of a great listener? What does great listening look like? Mm. Well, um, we, we spend a lot of time on listening. I guess it's the heartland of our practice. And um, a great listening recognises that listi listening is not something that's done with the ears. Mm. Um, we are always listening through our history and we are always listening with a concern for the future. And often we as leaders do not realise that. So usually we're listening, um, wanting to connect what's happening for us in our listening with our frame of reference or what's happened in the past so that we can make sense of it. And what we don't realise is there's an inherent prejudice in that process mm. and that we're always framing up based on our experience which stops us listening to the experience of the other person. So we say that our listening is automatic. Mm -hmm. It is always on. And we have what we call an already listening. So we're listening, um, predicting what's about to be said and knowing our next step. So we're actually not listening. Mm. We're listening for what we think is going to happen and what we know has happened in the past. So what, what I'm saying is if, if you're a great listener, you're aware of that tendency. You can't always change it, but to be aware and observe yourself means that you can go, well, that's interesting. Look at that. I'm already in my own head, not listening to that person. Yeah. I am. And, and to deliberately put that aside and go, I'm going to create a space just to listen yeah. and to be in this person's world, which is our job as coaches. Like we are totally stepping. We have to kind of close out our worlds and, and engage in wholly the world of the other person. 
Could you give me an example and you can <clears throat> remove names and stuff like that of perhaps a client that you've worked for or with that one of the issues was with that they were listening with their framework and how it kind of showed out so our listeners can perhaps have an example of what you mean by we listen with the future in mind. Does, does anything come to mind? Um, well, if, if I just have to roll back over the last, oh, okay. I have a really difficult client. I'm sure everyone's got one of those. Yes. <clears throat> She doesn't listen. And so um, we're doing a very sensitive project for her at the moment. And part of our job is to feed back where we're at on a particular issue. Um, one of the leaders in that project had a very sensitive issue that came up and we needed to escalate it to this particular lady. And so I started to speak and I was interrupted. So there's, there's an example of not listening. As soon as you start to interrupt, what that means is inside her listening, there's a provocation where she doesn't have the sensibility to indicate that um, I should listen. Instead, she's saying, well, you should, or, well, that's not right. So there's judgments and conclusions and opinions that provoke her and she doesn't have the sensibility to catch herself I hold that off to the side and continue to listen to what it is that we want to communicate. Um, because when we're sharing something like that, the reason we're sharing it is because we have a concern for somebody else. So in our client's inability to listen to that, she potentially prevents us from taking the care of the concern that we need to take care of as practitioners. Mm. Um, so what it looks like is interrupting. Yes. What it looks like is tuning out. Yep. What it looks like is jumping to a conclusion quickly. And you see this in businesses all the time, by the way. Let's just get it done. Let's just make a decision. Um, what it means sometimes or what it looks like sometimes is, I call it STP. This is funny. Inside a group of 30, it's the same 10 people that speak. Right. 20 people don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, in a group of, think of a smaller practice, who are the dominating voices? Yes. Quiet voices. Why is that? Yep. Do you notice that? Or do you have a different listening for the different people based on your prejudice? So, for example, there'll be people in your practice you listen to and who's, who you pay attention to. Mm. And there'll be people that you don't pay attention to or what, what they say isn't as valid to you. Yeah. That's your prejudice. And there's something in that for you because you're probably not getting the most from that person. Um, and I know that we all have this. I have this. Yes. You know, I wouldn't, you, you have to kind of, it's, it's good to own it. When I say I have it, um, the, the healthiest thing is to recognize the prejudice because then you can catch yourself and go, oh, I'm likely to close down on that person when in, in fact I should open up and ask them more questions. I'm, I'm wondering this. I've kind of had a bit of a realization because I, I have been working on the concept of kind of asking questions and listening first is something that I have been working on for more than a decade. But what I realize is it is that almost needs to be without agenda because it's almost like, okay, I want to have a conversation with Paula today and I want to share with her a new way for her to think about her health that might remove some of the fear in this current climate. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bond and connect with her first. I'm going to ask questions to see how she's doing. And somewhere along there, I'm going to look for the opening and then I'm going to pounce in and then I'm going to tell her what I want to tell her. Yeah. 
which is really yeah. uh, not a great thing to be doing. I'm starting, and so I, I when and even you kind of answered it when I said, uh, you know, because if I get that question to you, how are you? And I don't get a response that kind of lets me dive deep in and connect with you. So it almost, it needs to be without agenda, good listening almost. Is that a fair assertion? It, or not really? No, it's a, a, it's a fantastic, it's funny. Assertion for me means fact. Um, so um, it is fair. I, yeah. I, I, I think what I'm thinking about is how contrary to professional practice that is mm. and that's why it's hard yes and also it's contrary if you're a motivated driven kind of person it's yes. contrary to the goal and so the greatest honor that you can give someone is a space for them mm -hmm. and also what i've found and you know i have to say i identify with that kind of thing um angus because I'm driven, a go-getter, like I'm that, that, that person. And I've had to literally intervene in my own tendency to be mm. that, to create spaces for other people. But here's yes. what the beautiful thing is. People, when you give them the space and legitimize them and you listen, it, they are amazing. And I know you believe mm. that. Yes. I know that's part of yours. But we get in the way wanting to rush it or move it down our pathway or make it a bit like what we expect is possible mm. instead of just creating an authentic space for them. Mm. They'll show up how they want to show up. And that's where innovation happens. People talk about innovation like a thing, but we say that innovation is a mood. It's a space that you create as a leader for someone to arise in front of you legitimately. Yes. And that means without your boundary as the questioner. Yeah. Now you can still have an offer at the end of that. That's no problem, but it's not using, you know, where they're at to shove your offer in. It's really arriving there and, and going. So from what we've discussed so far, what are the options you think are available mm. and which, which, which way are you leaning? Yes. Um, who else might be able to support you to do that? Yeah. Um, and you know, just those kinds of questions, really show that you legitimize the other person. Yeah. I, I think what I'm realizing inside of here too is that there needs to be a level of patience. And I, I, I felt a sense of frustration just building up to me before with regards to that realization because it's, there's still this, for so many of us and you in your field there too, there's this level of frustration because I have a solution that will ease some of your suffering if only you'll listen to me. And it's, you know, it's, I just, I can help you. Just <laughs> let me, let me help you. I want to like, come on, let's push on the other side. So I know it's coming from the absolute. It's what I love about so many of, you know, the people I get to work with is this deep mission and purpose that they have a solution that changes and can help and can assist and can make a difference. And so I love that we jump into these conversations with such gusto there too. I'm looking for that opening so I can help you. And for many of what I'm kind of realizing too, is that given in many cases, we, we don't have an hour and a half with our, our patients, like you were talking about with your kind of coaching consult beforehand. Mm. So this might need to be a conversation that bridges over, you know, three or four adjustments longer, maybe a follow-up conversation afterwards, maybe an email, those kind of things there too, that might allow it to you know, and I'm realizing that I need to have it go on somebody else's agenda rather than mine. And I know that was a long monologue too. 
at the end there, I'm interested in this because you did say too, and I want to touch on, is that this can still lead into an offer. Yes. As well. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because our, you know, our listeners, mm. me, let's ignore the listeners. I want to know how I can transition into an offer still, even when I'm having this listening that is without agenda. Yeah. I think that's a great question. And the, the first words that come to me um, is you being an ambassador of possibility. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a weird phrase, um, but ultimately um, through questions and through careful listening, you can help someone reveal their own possibility. And that's the listening that you're creating for an offer. And it's very important that I share that this is not a manipulation. Yes. This is you really understanding how that person's seeing what they're seeing. And then inside that very moment, so you can't pre-plan this often. Um, so even our conversation, we didn't pre-plan this. We're at where we're at in the space of um, mutuality, mm. right? So the conversation is emerging right now. Mm. And this idea of an offer has just emerged inside our conversation. So it's not, um, you can't predict what's going to happen. But when you give someone this sense that they're driving their own ship, into that space, often the possibility reveals itself. Mm-hmm. And that's the place where you make the offer. Yes. Because you won't even realise until that moment, you go, oh, I've, I've got something. This would really help that thing. Yeah. Oh, so that's the question you're living in. Well, what about this? Yes. Or, um, so that's the question you're living in. Which ways have you chosen to explore that so far? Mm. And so if they're a bit stuck there, well, this is something we do in our practice. Have you thought about that? Yeah. And yep. so, but it's, it's such a different way of going about no. uh, engaging. Um, but, but the best thing is they're probably excited because they're in self-discovery. Yes. They're not like, oh my God, this guy's trying to sell me something. Yes. <laughs> can I get out of here? Or, you know, enough with the upselling. Yes. Um, so it's, it's a quite a different energy. Um, and, and, and it's quite a skill involved. <laughs> no, I get it. But I, I, my realisation also too is the only real way for an offer to land is if it's opened up by the other person anyway. That's so right. So if I go around my sneaky way and I'm, you know, it's not, I feel like I've got the best of intention, but I know I'm going about it incorrectly. And then I drop my offer in there, which is really my worldview. That's what I'm talking about, my offer, which is, you know what? Hey, listen, I get the kind of, we're talking Corona here. I get the social distancing and the masks, but let's talk about something more offensive, how you can look after yourself and be in less fear. Regardless of when I drop, the only time that that's going to really land is when I let you open up the space for when it can land, as opposed to when I think I can drop it in yeah, there. That's it. You know, so I, I might feel good that I'm evangelizing. I'm telling everybody I'm standing on the soapbox here and I'm yelling it out there too. But really what... What I'm wanting with my communication is effectiveness, not for me to say, get to the end of the day and say, I told everybody, but really I want to be effective with my communication and how many opportunities was I able to open up where there was a space of self-discovery from Paula in this situation where she went, hmm, is there another way, Angus, for me to be thinking about this? What else could I be doing? What would you suggest? What are your thoughts about it? And when you can open up the space that you're asking for my thoughts, um, you know, you're having discoveries itself, that's 
when I can see in those situations where we've, I've come to those with patients where there's been a way more significant behavior change. Yeah, yeah. Because they own it. Totally. Yeah, because the other way, you're always going to own it. You'll be driving it. The agenda's yours. Whereas if they have self-discovered, mm. choice is the foundation of behavior change. Yes. And, uh, you know, like there's a lot of scholarly uh, information about that in, yes. you know, that's available to everybody. Um, but once again, I really want to stress the authenticity of this. So um, I think there are, you have to really understand, I'm going to call it the shadow side of yourself. It's kind of like you have to grapple with, oh, you know, like I just want to sell them, but I've got a sneaky way through the back yes. door here. And, and not to use it like that. I think this is where as business owners and practitioners, we get to evolve our own sense of who mm. am I and who do I want myself to be and how do I want to wake up to myself every day? Am I using these tools for the forces of evil like kryptonite? Or, you know, can I really just settle into the authenticity of this experience? Because I'd rather have 10 patients meaningfully changed than um, 50 patients that I just have to work hard on all the time. Yes. And, you know, then you probably have to think about your business model around that too and how you want to adjust that. And then also I think there's a leap of faith when that ripple effect happens. You have evangelists in the market. Do you know when someone, so for example, you and I, I'll use that. I know that I've sent even now people to you 15 years on from when I was living in Victoria. Yes. Because I was an evangelist. That, that was about our connection and our relationship and my sense of never being sold to and who yes. you are as a human. It wasn't about um, needing a chiropractor. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Do you know what's... Because the shadow side of things is interesting. And I think it shows up... I'm aware of it in two different ways inside of me. And I feel like I've got a good hold of one of my shadow. So if I call it the shadow shadow, which is the dark dark, which is all about manipulating you because it's something good for me. Exactly. Right. But I've just realized there's another shadow side because there's a shadow side of me that wants to manipulate you because it's good for you. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. And I, I do that more often than what I know I do. And this conversation now has, has had me realize it. So I've wanted, as opposed to, I've got clever with my communication enough to, you know, help you see a path and go down a journey that I want to take you down, yeah. as opposed to being patient enough to come to, and I've, and, and here's, I've justified it because it's good for you. Yeah. But I realise there's another level above that too. And, and when you say that choice is the foundation of behaviour change, I can see that the long-term change that's best for you is for me to be patient in the conversation enough that I can help you see it. And that's tricky. You know, I still kind of feel a discomfort inside my head because in my head, my stomach, I say head, but it's my stomach and I feel there too mm. because I want to help you. And I, yeah. I think, you know, now we've got to talk about being Australian. <laughs> yes. Because we're not very direct, right? Okay. So, so the thing is, sneaking around with this stuff or you know it's good to know that it's good to own it but i think this this okay i'm going to balance out a ledger for you investigating whether there's any inclination for us to be in the game because we want to be right 
Mm. Now, be careful if you've been schooled as an engineer or a doctor, yes. <laughs> because we're taught that, right? So it's in our early framing and that we don't even see that we slip into it in our whole life. Um, the need to win, yes. the need to protect our identity. Um, so those kinds of things um, can lurk around as unconscious ways of being. We call it a way of being, which is it shows up in the way we language and in our mood and in our physiology. Um, but there's a whole other possibility, which I think provides tremendous freedom. And I'm only just tapping into this part of my life now, um, coming out of what I just described. So I want to also identify that I understand what it is to think that I know best. <laughs> it's so bad to say that, but I actually can totally own it. That doesn't stop me making a really big, bold offer. Mm. But straight, I'm not going to manipulate someone. I'm going to have a conversation for listening to really absorb someone's world. And if we end up at a point at the end where I go, look, I'm just going to make an offer to you. Mm. And you can feel perfectly free to do, decline it, to mm. give them full permission to do that. Yes. So it's, it's kind of like making peace with, okay, I'm not coming at this because I want to be right. I'm mm. coming at this from a place of genuine listening. And at mm. the end, if there's something, I'm going to be really straight with that person rather than, than manipulative mm. and give them full permission to decline if they want to. Mm. Now, in Australia, it's not really done like that. Yes. It's really much more, oh, I shouldn't do that or I'll sneak around through the background or um, who am I to make an offer like that? Or, yes. you know, and I think that there's layers of enculturated ways of being that we have the opportunity to explore as business owners and as humans and as people that run teams, because this is what's running always in the background and it limits yes. our greatest potential. Now, at the end of the day, it, your, your second shadow that you talk about is an opportunity. Yes. Um, because it says, hey, I see the second shadow. I understand the deep, dark shadow, um, but I'm going to do some work on um, I know when I'm in which spaces. I know when I'm in a space of legitimate listening. And I completely separate that out from the space of, okay, now I'm making an offer. Yes. And mm. I'm going to be pretty proud about both of those. Um, but I think that that's when you really start to understand that we generate our world in conversations. Yeah. Is there, when you're making that offer, and as we kind of wind into this too, I want to kind of finish on this concept here too. Is it... Is it a request to make an offer? So I've had that conversation. It's not even a request. So it's not, you know, I wonder if I can give you a, a, a or so I've had that conversation. It hasn't authentically opened up for me to share something that might be a valuable for somebody. Yeah. Yep. Is what you're saying that I can say, hey, listen, Paula, I, I want to share a new or a different perspective for you, of which I want to give you full permission to either accept or reject as well. I yep. think it might be helpful for you and then give the offer. Or do I just, is there a, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So a request and an offer are two different things in my world. Right. Um, so a request is when I say, Angus, I have a request for you. Yes. My request is that when COVID is over, that um, you make time in your schedule for us to have a long lunch somewhere by the bay um, what will it will require um, is that it's a beautiful sunny day, so we're going to have to choose our day well, um, and that we go, you know, the Bayside Cafe that's halfway between Albert Park, was that Albert Park, right on the beach there? Correct. Yep. 
Um, now, would you be open to setting a future date? Let's just assume it's July 2021. Would you be open to coming to lunch with me if I can get myself to Victoria? Yes. Okay, great. So that was me making a request of you. And yes. I could have said, look, feel perfectly free to decline. Okay. Yes. Now, an offer is, um, Angus, I'd like to make an offer. But you see how deliberate I am with my speech? Yes. I'm not saying, I'm not couching it. I'm saying either I'd like to make a request, this is what, this is why, this is by when, according yes. to these standards. And my standards were the sunny day. Yes. But if I'm making an offer, it's like, um, hey, Angus, I'd like to make an offer and feel perfectly free to decline this offer. And hopefully you say yes, right? Yes. Because you're already engaged. Right. I haven't even said what it is, but you're in the zone. Okay. Now wait for the listening. I'm waiting for you to listen to me. Right. And then I can say, um, my offer is that when COVID is over, I would love to have your family up um, and host you in our Queensland property. Mm. Um, because at the moment, you know, you don't have a chance for any of that beautiful, sunny, warm weather. Um, You're and teasing maybe, me now. Yeah, come up for a weekend because we've got four bedrooms and everyone can have their own room and we can cook some gorgeous food. I'm wondering if you'd be open to that um, at some point in the future after COVID. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so there's a difference because in one of those, I'm, if, if I'm making an offer, I'm taking care of your concern because I've listened to your concern. Stuck in Victoria with COVID, can't go anywhere, no warm weather. Yes. Um, but when I'm making a request, I'm, I'm creating a possibility for you to take care of my concern. Got it. Got it. The request is about me. The offer is about you. Well, it's about both of us. Right. So what's interesting is when one of us says yes, we're always we're both taking care of each other's concern. Yeah. And that's the thing. If you're listening to concerns at the start of this, the offer takes care of the concern of the other. Yeah. If, you're, if you have a concern at the start of this, the request is taking care of your my concern, mm. but I know you're the person who can help me do that. Yeah. I've identified you as my performer. Yeah. Mm. beautiful beautiful we've had a I, every time we chat and we had a, a framework of which we were going to talk about which i think we covered none of it um and instead <laughs> <laughs> we had this well we did kind of from another point of view there as as well yeah. i love this idea of the ambassador of possibility and i want to encourage our listeners um i want to make um an offer for them <laughs> that maybe they could see themselves stepping into being for their communities an ambassador of possibility where um, as a leader they could start to um, you know have more and more of these conversations with their practice members um, maybe over multiple visits um, and, you know because I also think there is a space as well and perhaps we can come back another time because I'd be interested I think there's a way that we could even have these conversations one to many as well. Totally. Where I could put out, I could be sharing my weekly videos with my Facebook groups, with my Instagram listeners. You know, I feel like to an extent you and I have had one of these conversations right now, which is a one to many conversation as, as well. So, um, uh, uh, Paula, thank you as always for being so damn brilliant. If our listeners want to um, engage with you, kind of see a little bit more about what you do and how you go about it and stuff, where's the best kind of place for them to find out where you hang out? 
Thanks, Angus. So we, um, we've been building up our social media capacity over the last five years. We've learned so much. Um, so at Liberated Leaders are our handles on Instagram, um, Facebook, and also we have a growing LinkedIn presence at the moment. Um, now, liberatedleaders.com.au is our um, best access point for our website. So we offer leaders programs from one day to 10 months to really transform the way they see themselves, perceive the world. Um, and that is definitely suitable for business owners and entrepreneurs, um, as well as big um, big businesses and leaders from big business. So we blend our learning groups up on purpose. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the thing that I'm really tuned into in your closing remark is just about the importance to tune into the concerns of mm -hmm. your followers. Yes. Um, and so like if, if your followers uh, have an aspiration to be better listeners, better leaders, to be able to coordinate action in a more powerful way, make more robust requests, uh, gain strong commitments and hold others accountable. That's really a domain of practice we can help out with. But yes. Angus, I love the idea of um, if you're open to it, doing this again. Mm -hmm. There's so much, there's so much inside these conversations. And if we can help leaders be able to use conversational practice to open possibilities and take care of concerns, I just don't think there's anything more important in the world yeah. because ultimately we're all on a path to well-being together. Yeah. I, I I'm, um, would love to, we'll set a date for round two and we'll continue this conversation as well. So, Miss Paula Drayton, thank you. Um, as always, I look forward to uh, round two of this and then uh, finally some stage that I can come and bring my corrupt your gorgeous Queenslander out in the bush there as well. So, um, <laughs> Sounds great. Tony and Paula work together at Liberated Leaders. Paula and Tony were telling about an upcoming program that they have that's online, which would be perfect for if you're wanting to step up your leadership. In particular, Paula, you articulated a kind of four different types of businesses this might be kind of great for as, as well. And given that it is all delivered online, and because the vast majority of the people listening to this right now are not in Australia, mm -hmm. can you and Tony share a little bit about the training, who it'd be great for, when it starts. Um, it, yeah, let's talk more about that. Yeah, thanks, Angus. And um, I really love that we're practising what we preach because I think our listening zone was in the conversation with you. But at the end, um, we realised that when you asked us what's going on in our world, we have an upcoming program that starts in September. So I think we're a little bit ahead of the curve. Um, five years ago, we developed a standalone leadership program that's all about preparing leaders for increasingly uncertain operating contexts yes. and we do that by building skills and practices um, particularly around growth change and disruption and so um, when COVID hit that was just a time for us to say we're ready and um, we can take this to a broader audience and this was a program that we've been delivering face-to-face -face primarily mm. um, here in Australia and that created a limitation that we couldn't see before COVID. So um, mm. we've taken it wholly online and we've already taken our entire existing cohort online and it's worked beautifully. Mm. Um, they've had amazing transformational outcomes, but on the 17th of September, we're opening up for an intake of an online, a solely online intensive foundations program. It's seven months long mm -hmm. and it's designed to build skills and practices for leaders to be able to grapple with navigate through disruption um so would it be helpful if we talked a little bit about the program or how would you like to totally I, I i would 
I'd love to. I wonder this time, because I'm going to just interject into here because this can be kind of added in. We, we talked about that concept of an ambassador of possibility and the skills needed to perhaps reinvent ourselves in what we do and how our communities hear us as well. I've got to imagine this would be a big outcome of what could be achieved through this course, yeah? Yeah, very, very much so, uh, Angus. And, you know, what, what, is, what this course is about is that because we're human beings, we're social, we, we live in the language, so we live in the interpretations that we make of our world. And, and often our biology becomes our, uh, or sorry, our biography becomes our biology. So mm -hmm. this is the historicity of us. But, you know, what we do in the program is not so much the leader, but the person in the leadership role even the small business owner, you know, perhaps like your chiropractors, mm. it's, we're more about the human being in that position. Mm. And so, you know, really working with uh, some of their limitations, some of their emotional barriers and how that plays out, how they show up um, in, in their business and leadership and in life. So we really work with leaders over the next, over a seven month period to help them understand themselves better and create more possibilities than what probably what they could ever possibly imagine. Mm. So that's that ambassador of possibilities piece by really reinterpreting, you know, who we think we are, who our clients are and what we do. Mm. And, can, and re articulating that. Yeah. Mm. Can, can you give me some idea of, first of all, the kind of people this might be great for, yeah. and then the yeah. kind of outcomes that people that, that might come from working through this process over the next seven months. So who's it good for and yep. what kind of expectations could I have in, in working through this? Okay. So I could probably address the first question. So there are, there are four discrete kinds of leaders that we bring on board and we purposely mix these up mm -hmm. uh, because we have a belief that it's in conversations between different kinds of leaders that you can cross-pollinate and share insights and practices. So first mm. of all is business owners who know that they need to reinvent or perish. Mm. And that's where we're at right now. Um, yes. Secondly is mm. uh, already existing and successful leaders. So leaders wanting to go to the next step. So often we'll have someone that's about to go for a big promotion or that they know that they need to adjust some part of their interpersonal relationships to be able to go to that next step. Um, they need to deal with politics and power differently, people that are grappling to go to that next iteration of themselves. Um, the next is the entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So we love having them in the program. Mm -hmm. They're typically around 30, um, mm -hmm. which is different from our older leaders. So um, I guess the average age of the program would be about 40 if you average it out. Mm -hmm. um, but we have had someone that's 72 and we have had someone that's 25 come in and they were best friends, which is just one of those weird things. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, the high performing or the high potential leaders. So, um, you know, you know these people when you meet them. You're like, wow, that is that person is a fantastic young leader. I can see all their potential. Let's give them the fast track. So they're the four groups of people we typically bring in. And what kind of outcomes? So if somebody's, you know, I'm just thinking if my listeners are thinking here now that, you know, if I want to grow my practice, grow my impact, if I'm wanting to expand out, if I'm wanting, you know, what kind of things might somebody want to achieve by going through this leadership program? Mm. Um, the first is to create um, space and through skills and practices, create spaces where your team um, mobilizes, coordinates better, 
um, and is more efficient in what they do. Mm. Now that sounds that that's that's one of the greatest outcomes because there's a lot of skilling and space creating that you need to um, achieve as a leader. Also managing people's accountability and responsibility. So mm-hmm. basically moving your team to a high performing team. That's one yeah. of the team outcomes. So if you've got a small team and you need to be a fast moving humming machine, that's one of the things. Yeah, I think the biggest. Um, and it's the first orientation is really dealing with the inner landscape of the leader. Mm. So remember we talked about shadow. Yes. We deal with it and we deal with it head on in the first session, Mm. um, basically revealing the narratives that limit your performance and limit your growth. And I know that you and I share a passion around this, um, but we have a particular way of revealing that and working with it for the entire duration of the course. Yes. Um, So your overriding narrative also defines the mood that you're in as a leader. And if that mood is unconstructive, if it tends to resignation or this is too hard or this will never be over or resentment, Mm. which, you know, it's it's like a sting in the tail or anxiety, Mm. which is very prevalent right now. We can help you overcome resentment, resignation, anxiety and move towards acceptance, ambition and wonder. And it's a key part of our program. Um, now, once you've got those moods on your side, mm. you can do anything, yeah. but it's a cultivation. It's a, it's a practice and there are practices that you instill into your um, daily life that yeah. really start to make this more of, um, we call it a way of being. Mm. Um, also, we deal with habits. Yep. <laughs> so hooks, routines and payoffs. And we get in and go, well, to, to dismantle why it is that you do what you do and to reinvent that whole pathway. Mm. Um, so there's some of the things, but then ultimately we, we wrap up with this idea that as a leader, you need to be a coach. Yes. No more doing. And this is one of the hardest things in small business. Stop doing it. Start coaching other people to do it. So we build all those practices through the whole seven months duration so that you can start to release yourself from the burden of six, seven days a week. And we know what that's like. Yeah, you guys have been there and done that along with many of my listeners yeah. there too. I kind of, yeah. as I'm, and, and knowing the work in particular, Paula, that you've done, myself included, so many, we fall for, or we get attracted to bright, shiny objects when we want to grow our practice, our impact, our relationships, all those kind of things. And what sits underneath the real thing that we're searching for is really this level of self-awareness, this level of leadership over self, which can then expand through teams, our families, our community, all of those kind of things. My contention would be is that if we started with ourselves there as well, that we may well end up having a much greater kind of impact over our communities as, as well. Would that be a fair kind of guess of what might happen with regards to this training? Yeah, very much so. You know, as, as business owners and leaders, we can, we can become all too consumed with what we're doing and we, we can label it like, you know, we're very passionate about what we do, but in many circumstances, we become obsessed. Mm. When we become excess, obsessed, that's when our blindness about what's going on around us begins to narrow and we just want to hit that target or that goal or yeah. that, you know, objective. And, yeah. and so, you know, our program helps us disconnect from that obsessiveness and, and helps us to be differently with ourselves and with other people. Yeah. More aware of our moods and emotions, more aware of our behaviours and how they play out on ourselves and on others. Mm. 
Love it. Tony and Paula, where would people find out more about the leadership training? So it's liberatedleaders.com.au. Yes. Um, so the Australian handle. And um, it will be under our programs. There are five programs listed there. Go to the intensive and that's yes. where we're open. <laughs> Start 17th of September. Now, what we've done, and I really did tune into the, you have overseas listeners, we do have people coming in from the US for this. Yes. Um, so we're making sure that we're on the morning session for our half-day workshops, 8.30 till 12.30. And when daylight savings hits the US, that'll be like a late afternoon, early evening session on the West Coast. East Coast, it's a little bit more challenging. I'm not sure how many listeners you have over there. Um, but this is the first time that we've been able to open it up to a global audience. And next year we'll head up to Asia Pacific and do an APAC program. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is a really exciting time to start connecting leaders from all around the world. And, and just by way of background, the reason we know the time zone so well is we are always in a leadership conversation with people all around the world. Mm. And America is one of our heartland conversation spaces. So we really understand what's going over there domestically. Yes. Um, and it's helpful just to us. You know, we're not going to talk about an Australian situation. We can talk geopolitics from all around the world, but that's not the focus of our leadership program. It's an important backgrounder, um, but really it's about you. And it's about that unhelpful listening that we spoke about in our podcast and releasing yourself from the prejudice to open yourself to the possibilities of the future. Love it. Love it. I'll make sure I'll link directly in the show notes to that, um, that training in there as well. Tony, thanks for jumping in for part two here as well. Paula, well, you're very welcome, Angus. Until next time, and I think we decided before, maybe even round two, yeah. we'll see if we can let Tony sneak in as well. If he's behaving himself over this, I'm just going to throw that out there as a possibility just to keep Tony on his toes, yeah. whether or not we can, we can have him kind of come in as well. So, guys, thanks so much for sharing that as well. Show notes, listeners, with some stuff to do. I think you can probably know, but I'm a huge fan of the work that Paula and therefore sort of Tony does as well. It's, it's important work. Um, it, it's so full. Everything that Paula does is deep. Um, if you're wanting to build from the foundations up, um, I, I just can't recommend their work any more highly. So um, check it out. Check out the show notes. Paula and Tony, have a wonderful day. Thanks, Angus. Thanks, Angus. You too. See you soon. Bye. Take care. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come and check out the Community Influencer Program. It's my monthly coaching program where we take all this material and I'll work one-on-one -on -one with you to apply, implement, systematize, and help guide you and your practice to the next level. Now you can join me on over at adiomedia.com forward slash join. That's adiomedia.com forward slash join. I'd love to see you in there.